privilege to meet together as the Lord's body, to worship Him, to endeavor to serve His purpose in the earth. What we see in Acts is that very thing happening. The the apostles, and now the the growing, fast-growing church, are together in one accord. Not meaning they are one accord in ideas, in lifestyle necessarily, but one accord in purpose. One accord in heart, in mind, soul. Because when when believers love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is a lot of commonality between believers. That's the basis on which we see the, uh, the great things happening here. This text is interesting in several ways because up to this point in Acts, we've, we've heard messages preached that are come about because of the Lord's sovereign hand to, to open doors, either by when it starts out in, in chapter 2, when God pours out the Holy Spirit upon the believers. But also when they, for example, Peter and John, just an ordinary day, they're going to the temple to pray like they have been most every other day, probably. And things happen. Because the Lord's hand and power has determined what will happen. So we see this again and again. But this passage is a prayer. It's, there's a verse at the start and a verse at the end, and everything else is prayer. But the first thing that struck me as I began looking at this weeks ago was that sounded an awful lot like the messages that have been preached. It had the same uh, central content that God had said through the mouth of his prophets what would happen and here he is doing it. And that's the basis for their prayer and for the request that they, that they give. So a summary of the text. Peter and John, having been released by the Jewish rulers, met with the church and reported their threats. And then in light of this persecution, the church prayed. As a result of the church's prayer, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What do you think of those results? Good results, huh? The church prayed for boldness to speak the Lord's message. Okay. Isn't technology wonderful? But I have a weak voice, and I do appreciate this technology. The church prayed for boldness 
to speak the Lord's message, and God answered them with power. He filled them with his Holy Spirit, the source of power and wisdom for speaking his word. God even shook the place where they were assembled, increasing their confidence that he had heard their prayer and was ready to answer it right then. As a result, the disciples spoke the word of God with boldness through the power of the Spirit. I want to ask, what was it about that prayer that made a difference? Was it the words they prayed? Or was it their understanding? Or was it their actions? There's a verse in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God certainly strongly supported these believers at this time, didn't he? Could it have been because their hearts were completely his? It's good to have words to pray. It's good to have understanding, certainly. And we need to act upon the word. But isn't there something prior to that? The first and great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the starting point. So let's consider this prayer. Consider it in the context of the events. Immediately preceding, which is what this is flowing out of, but also the larger context of what the Lord has been doing in his people. What is his purpose? Is his purpose, in other words, specific events, events that have already happened? Certainly his purpose was that that uh, the Lord he send his son, Jesus, into the world to die for us, raised him from the dead, he ascended to the Father. And they're pointing out how that in this prayer that uh, the nations were set against the Lord. So these were events that had just happened. But were those isolated events? When, when God finished that work in terms of how we would count history. It happened, it's done, Christ has ascended. As he said, it is finished. His work on the cross was finished. His work, what he had come to do, he did. Is he done? Is that all he's going to do for the rest of eternity? Speaking not just of Christ, but of God. What is God's purpose? Jesus, while he was still here, talked of his purpose after his death and resurrection and ascension. I want us to consider all those things. As the church, and <clears throat> there's, there are some things here that we can be sure of, and there are some things we can't some of the minor things, like who is there when they assembled? They met with their companions. We find in verse 31, 
after they had prayed, the, <clears throat> the place where they assembled was shaken. We see that it was considered an assembly. They did this on purpose. They didn't just drop by to someone's living room. But we don't know how many. Was it a multitude? Certainly there was a multitude of believers by now. Was it just the apostles? Or was it maybe the 120 or the core group? I don't know for sure, but I'm inclined to think that it's probably the latter, or at least something like that. But uh, we, we can't be dogmatic about such things. But, but just to, to have an idea of, of uh, what's happening here, it would, it would seem to be that, that uh, given the number of believers, that they probably have not assembled all the believers at this time. So just in thinking through uh, how they are praying here. The first thing they do, just kind of a summary here, is they acknowledge God as sovereign Lord and Jesus as, it is, as his anointed and his purpose. I want to elaborate on that in just a minute. But if we look at, at uh, verse 23, that when they were let go, they went to their own companions and gathered together. I, I want to just point out that this is something that, that already... It's, it's throughout Acts. Uh, in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, they were all in one accord with one place. Verse 6, uh, the multitude came together. They gathered. Gathering to gather with events is, is part of our experience as human beings whether it be a planned, thoughtful thing or something that just comes about because of an event. We gather together. So when we consider the the types of gathering together, actually this text here, after it uh, talks about the church gathering together in in verse 42 and 46 of of, uh, of Acts chapter 2, in verse... 11 of chapter 3, all the people ran together to Peter and John and the lame man in Solomon's porch. In chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, others of his family, called together the whole Sanhedrin. They gathered together. They had a purpose. But that purpose was not going to stand <laughs> because, as the believers said, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They gathered together for their purpose, but it did not stand because that was not a house that God was building. In verse 11 of chapter 4, Peter, speaking to the Sanhedrin, says this, speaking of Jesus, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. A building is going on. God is building a building. The building that these leaders were trying to build was not going to stand. 
So when they gathered together, and, or, or when they heard, I'm sorry, but I, I need to go back to verse 24. So when they heard and that, and they're speaking of what the chief priests and elders had said to them, they raised their voice to God in one accord. And it struck me that it, the wording here is that they raised their voice, not voices. Now, no doubt, there, there might have been someone leading up this prayer with everyone behind it. We're in one accord. But I believe it mostly speaks to their being together. It was considered one voice because they were gathered together for one purpose and in one accord. So it's regarded as a prayer from this uh, uh, perhaps portion of the church. And they said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This is a prophecy from Psalm 2. But I was reminded of Psalm 19 that contrasts or contrasts not so much contrast, but side by side, uh, God's creation and God's word. In particular, I thought of the, the, the verses that talk about the sun, kind of after talking about the, his marvelous creation and the, and the power and majesty that he displays in that, it focuses on the sun that rises and its circuit across the heavens, and nothing is hidden from his heat. And then it speaks of the the word of God, his law, and how it is perfect and pure and clean. All those aspects of it, nothing is hidden from its gaze. It is a living and active word that exposes sin, It lays bare the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's also a healing word. He brings his word and heals us. So when we look at this, we see how after acknowledging God as Lord and and sovereign God in creation, it shows how he is a God who speaks. He spoke by the mouth of his servant David. In Psalm 2, and then quote. Then in verse 27, For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So after talking about servant, God's servant David, he spoke for David. Then he spoke and acted through his holy servant, Jesus. The 
The word there for servant is a word that means several things. And some translations will even translate that, your holy child, Jesus. It can mean child, servant, minister. But I think the thing I would like to bring out here is that it's different than the word that's used later that they use for themselves when they are asking God to grant their servants boldness. That word is doulos, a bond slave, the lowest servant. That's how they regarded themselves. So when they said, now Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, They're putting themselves in a place of a servant to do whatever they are commanded to do. And their expectation, their expectation is not just to hear the Lord say something to them, kind of disconnected, but rather to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They saw that the Lord is at work, and he has been at work, and that they're seeing this as his purpose being worked out. Now they're offering themselves for a continuation of that. It is vital that we see ourselves today as here for his purpose. Not just to maintain a life and you know, do the best we can, go along to get along, work, eat, these are things that we do in our, our, our daily existence. But there ought to be an overriding purpose, a, a purpose that, that we are established on and, and feed off of and look to and see our every event, every day of our lives, not just today, every day. Every day that we go through, though, is today. Remember the admonition in Hebrews, today, it just keep saying it over and over. There's a sense of urgency. And these disciples had that sense of urgency. Not of fear or of arrogance, but of purpose. When they say, now Lord, look on their threats, these are threats made by the rulers who just killed Jesus. So, there's no thought that, well, they're just bluffing. (laughs) No. They know that this could very easily cost them their lives. It could have this time. And perhaps would have if they hadn't had a lame man standing beside them and all the people outside glorifying God. But, as they saw, they knew this with Jesus, that when they could not do anything with Jesus because of the crowds, they planned and schemed until they could get him alone. You know, aha, now we have him. Think of some of the Psalms where the enemies are crying out, aha, now we have him. In fact, yes, they had him because God's sovereign hand purpose was that that would happen that way. It was prophesied down to the detail. 
his betrayal, the purchase price, all of it. So they knew that this was not an idle threat. But they knew that God had a purpose and they were seeing themselves as part of it, not knowing what it would be. It was unknown. But that, they did not have to know what exactly would happen. What they needed to know is that they were there as a purpose. And they offered themselves as bond slaves. Use us, Lord. Use us to speak your word. Use us to heal through our hands, feet, mouths, tongues. Speak your word. Demonstrate your power. Authenticate your word. Do whatever you desire to do. Here we are. Isn't that why this was a prayer that was answered? They did indeed pray for boldness to speak his word, but also that signs and wonders might be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They didn't ask that their ministry would be confirmed and established. Not that they would be seen as strong, gifted. Earlier I referenced Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I was reminded of scripture in 1 John, chapter 3. This is verses 21 through 23. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that please are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. These believers are doing that. They have believed in the name of the Son of God. And they are loving one another. They have every confidence that God is hearing their prayer. They must have prayed according to God's will, with willing and obedient hearts that were completely his. We see that because the Lord answered their prayer. It was his will. He, giving, he gave them the power and boldness to speak his word. And he also gave a strong display of his power in the physical realm, indicating his readiness to continue healing and displaying signs and wonders. And this opened up opportunities for his word to be preached. And it authenticated the message. This is what there, this event here came out of such a an event when Peter and John went to the temple, healed the lame man. I've sometimes wondered if these bold and powerful witnesses to the message of the gospel in the early days of the church were due to everything being fresh and new. And so since things are no longer quite so fresh and new in our day, then we shouldn't really expect too much, should we? 
I suspect I'm not the only one to have ever wrestled with these thoughts. I know there are those in our day that seem to feed off excitement and show and hype. We are put off by them and grieve over the shame that is often brought to the name of Christ. But the Lord said it would happen. There will be those who appear before him on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do great miracles in your name? And the answer will be, depart, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Another translation is for iniquity, lawlessness. Doing what you want to do. Doing your own thing. That's the major difference here. Those that go off to do their own thing. Sometimes they're judged here in this world. Sometimes it comes later. But let us not be discouraged or put off to the point of inaction ourselves. Can we not offer ourselves as bond slaves to God to do his will? Or is he done with his purpose? Is he all done? No. He is still today building the church. James 3, verses 21 through 23 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. And you may spend it on your pleasures. Let us not do that. Let us not ask to spend things on our own pleasures. But let us ask with the attitude of a servant ready to do his will, to serve his purpose. It's a real contrast to that. As Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, John 11, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Wouldn't we like to say that? The reason he could say that, not just because, well, Jesus was God, so you know, he can say that. Well, he was God. <laughs> but no, that's not why. The reason he said that is in John 5.30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 2, quoting from Psalm 69, Zeal for your house has consumed me. Brothers and sisters, he's still about the business, his work, his purpose of building the house, the temple, the people of God, for his glory, for his habitation. He also speaks of the bride of Christ, preparing her. These believers asked and received because they asked according to God's will and purpose. They burned with passion for the Lord's glory and for his purpose to be accomplished through their hands and feet and mouths. And they were willing to be consumed in the process. As long as the Lord's glory and purpose 
was served. Are we available to God like that? Like we see modeled here by these believers in Acts 4. If not, why not? It's a hard question to ask. But shouldn't it be asked? Living as a Christian is intended to be a radical life, lived with a radical commitment. If because of the ease and distractions available to us here in this land of plenty, if because of this we live an easy and distracted life, will the Lord then have a different standard to apply when we stand before him to give account of our lives? We know the answer to that. Jesus, our forerunner, gave us himself as the perfect example of a disciplined, obedient life. Life of a servant, a son of God, serving his father, doing his every wish. But we also have these believers in Acts as an example. Don't think that, well, Jesus did that, but I can't. That's just what these believers are in action doing now as we read this account. Let us learn from their example. They were focused. They were focused on what the Lord was doing. So what is the Lord doing today? Again, he's building his church. Are we focused on it? Are we a part of it? Are we a part of it by presenting ourselves as his servants to obey him? What he was doing in Acts, the particular Acts, the particular people, particular things that were happening, we're not looking to uh, mimic them. Uh, This can get you in all sorts of trouble. (laughs) But what we are to mimic is their way of life and their attitude and their prayer and their submission to God, ready to do his will. This we are called down through the ages as long as time is going on and the Lord has not returned yet. He is returning to look for people who have faith and walk and exercise it and walk in his ways for his purpose. This world provides many distractions to the central purpose of God in and through the church. In particular, in particular, living in America exposes us to the same snares of affluence that the people of Israel were warned about as they were preparing to enter that abundant land. Do you remember? He told them that they were going to find, in contrast to their fairly difficult existence up to that point, that there was going to be abundance. The things that they didn't work for are just going to be there for the taking. It was going to be an abundant land. It drinks in the rain. Crops would be easy. The fields would be full. Their, their cattle and sheep would, would do wonderfully. And he warned them not to forget God. Shouldn't we add there, not to forget his purpose for them? Didn't they settle in? Didn't they always settle in to just feeding themselves? 
thinking of themselves. They were God's people. They were God's chosen. God had said from the, from the get-go that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They were intended to be a demonstration of his glory, living together for his purpose alone. It would draw others. Isn't that our purpose in the church? Not only to proclaim the gospel with our mouths, but to live it as one people in all the many places, demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God for not only people on earth, but even principalities and powers in the heavenlies. Now, here in America, and when I say in America, I'm not trying to just limit it. There are many other places. What I'm talking about is in contrast to some, some lands where to become a Christian and to be baptized, you have basically a couple of choices of what will happen to you. At minimum, you will be cast out of your family, and likely that will be your last day on earth. Here, it's easy. With all the abundance and distractions. And now we have technological advances. It increases the pull and the deadliness of these snares. We're experiencing an ever faster pace of life. All of these are devastating to our ability and readiness to serve the purpose of God if we give way to them. But aren't we called to be alert, to put on the armor and stand? An example of these snares, there are dozens of entertainment options that make it possible to throw away gobs of time. I say throw away because it's not serving the purpose of God. It's thrown away. For which we will give an account. And we do this on a daily and weekly basis. Is it our time or is it the Lord's time that we're throwing away? We'll find when we give an account, what will we give an account for? On what basis? Isn't it stewardship? The deeds done in the body? Words? Deeds? Is it our time? Or have we been bought with a price? The precious blood of Christ. The Lord, through Paul's letters, counsels us not to entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. Remember? that we may please the one who enlisted us. These affairs are incompatible with our calling to a life of serving Christ together in the midst of a spiritual war. We are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to live that out together.
Do you ever find yourself saying to yourself or to someone else, I don't see anything wrong with blank. You fill in the blank. Essentially, we are asking ourselves, asking ourselves, either myself or someone else I'd be speaking to, is it wrong to blank? We have asked the wrong person the wrong question. Instead, we should be asking God through the counsel of his word, Lord, what do you want me to do? You remember when Paul was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus? What was Paul's response? At first it was, who are you, Lord? When Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. His next response, Lord, what do you want me to do? It wasn't, all right, what do you want me to do? No. Complete acknowledgement and submission. From that day forward, Paul was bond slave. He spoke that often, but he lived it from that very moment forward. Are we asking the Lord the right question as one under his authority? Near the end of his life, Paul said, I did not receive the grace of God in vain. Brothers and sisters, Let that be said of us. We thank God for his grace. We sing of it. Do we respond to it? Do we live a life where his grace has not been given to us in vain? Or do we squander it? What else would be behind Paul's saying, I did not receive the grace of God in vain. If it were not possible, to squander it. God's word calls for radical service as a bond slave, serving his purpose on the earth, which is that the radical message of the gospel of Jesus Christ be published far and wide by the church while also being faithfully and powerfully lived out in the local community of believers as they live in one accord for that one purpose as one body in Christ. One purpose, not many purposes. Many members, one body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And brothers and sisters, one purpose. That's the message here in verse 28. Of Acts 4. Everything is seen in light of God's purpose. We're to live in obedience to all that the scriptures teach about that life together as a church. The gospel proclaimed by the church that all may hear, and the gospel lived out in the church. 
that all that have heard and obeyed the gospel may be perfected together, prepared to be his bride. Any other cause? Any other cause that we take up other than this one central purpose that we're to be working together as bond slaves of him as they presented themselves here. And as God honored their prayer, it was clearly his will and his intention to do this very thing that they were asking. Any other cause, when tested by fire, will burn. And the one who labors in such a cause will suffer loss. I want to read that scripture in 1 Corinthians 3. In verse 15, the larger context, though, is that Paul is speaking of laying a foundation. And remember, there's no other foundation to be laid other than Christ, the cornerstone. And he speaks of anyone building on this foundation. What are we building with? With gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble? Because our work will be tested by fire. How we live, what we do, Is it apart from his purpose? It will burn, and we will suffer loss. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet though it's through fire. Brethren, that is not a desirable outcome of your life, to stand before Christ and have your works tested and have nothing but ash left This is part of why we need to encourage and exhort one another daily. As the day approaches, sin is deceitful. We can just get caught up. Certainly, we can be caught in a trespass. But isn't it across the spectrum? Isn't it more common that we just lose our way a little bit at a time? Get lethargic? unfocused on why we're here. That's why we need one another. Some final words. As an elder in this church, together with the other elders, I'm exhorted to shepherd the flock and to be an example to the flock. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Also, together with the other elders, I watch out for your souls, and I must one day give an account of this stewardship. Hebrews 13, 17. I still tremble at the thought. I need to ask you. Do you tremble at the thought? of giving account of your stewardship? Personally? Your personal stewardship? What about your stewardship as a member of your blood relation family within your own homes? Or perhaps as head of a family? What about your stewardship as a member of the local church body in which the Lord places you? 
1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. We should all be sobered by the thought of our accountability to God. But if your response is to ignore the thought because it's painful, do you realize that turning away from that painful thought and getting busy with something else, anything else, will only increase your responsibility before a just God who renders to every man according to his deeds. I want you to face squarely your stewardship accountability before God now and walk humbly with God and with one another here as a committed member of this church so that you don't have to face God later with ash. We need one another. And if there is conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart, I pray that you would not turn away from it. And that it would not let today become tomorrow. His word is today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I'm not saying it's easy to walk this out. But my hope is that you will one day hear our Savior, the righteous judge, say to you, well done. It's worth working for. And he's worth working for. He is our Lord, our Savior. My greatest hope, though, is that you and I both walk and work together here in the ways that the Lord commands his church to live and serve. We will need to lean heavily upon the all-sufficient grace of God so that his purpose is accomplished through us as part of his church and we will be together part of his bride made ready. The elders here are committed to walking with you all. We need you. You need us. We all need each other. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12. The whole chapter teaches on this. Also, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 that we've read, how God grants gifts, callings in the church for the purpose of building up one another from a a pastoring and 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 a teaching. But then we're all connected, joined together, supplying strength to each other. This is God's plan. Some of these thoughts are heavy thoughts for you, perhaps, and may be difficult to hear, but don't be discouraged. The Lord gives grace for what he calls us to do. We see this example throughout Acts. I want to mention here that though much, especially the first several chapters of Acts, highlights Peter. He's the spokesman. Tends to be. I don't think it's be a correct understanding to think that Peter's doing all the work. He's doing all the speaking. Now, this is what's recorded for us. I believe an important reason of that 
is because so much was told about Peter through the Gospels. We saw the kind of person Peter was. Think about it. Think about how, for example, he stands up and says, when Jesus asks him, who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, Jesus you know, encourages him with that. Almost right away, Peter, full of himself and believing that he knows better, he can figure out what's, what ought to happen, what, what would serve the purpose of God. He gets in the Lord's way. And the Lord has to sharply rebuke him because he's trying to keep him from the cross, the very purpose for which he came. So there's up and down. And then Peter continues to speak. Remember when, about the week before, you know, they're, they're having supper and Christ takes up the towel in the basin. Peter's first response is, you'll never wash my feet. Not, he just wasn't focused on what the Lord was here for and, and humbly offering himself as a servant. He wasn't there yet. Christ told him, you're going to deny me. Oh, no, that'll never happen. He also told him, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. I believe Peter is held up as an example here because you see what he went through. You see the awful thing that he did in denying the Lord three times. Here he stands boldly before the Sanhedrin. There he couldn't stand boldly before a servant girl by the door. The Lord had to allow the, the hard dealing in his life until he was ready to do only the Lord's will in the power of his spirit. And now we see the difference that that makes. The Lord wants us to see that the weakest person can be brought to strength in Christ and be a vessel of honor in his kingdom. Don't be discouraged about that. Rather, get fired up not in your own strength, but because that you know that God gives grace for what he calls you to. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He disciples and trains us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Hebrews 12. The Lord is interceding for us, just like he interceded for Peter. The Lord Jesus Christ is a good person to have interceding for you. He prays according to God's will, and God answers his prayers. Walk in that confidence, not in confidence in yourself, but in that the Lord has called you. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Still today, the, lot, the eyes of the Lord move true and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his.
Heavenly Father. You have saved us, and you have saved us for a purpose. We want to recognize, Lord, what that purpose is and acknowledge that we are just your bond slaves. But that when we yield to you, you can accomplish your work. Just as these believers prayed, not that they would be strengthened and out front, but rather that your word would go forth. Your power would be displayed. Your name would be lifted up. I pray, Lord, that we would seek you for this kind of life, that you would help us to to see, to identify anything that we have accumulated that would hold us back. I pray, Lord, for for every one of us here for determination and a willingness to lay aside everything that hinders. To work to get disentangled if, if we are entangled with the things, the affairs of this life, that we would seek you to be unentangled from that. That we may serve you with hearts that are completely yours. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. One final thing I want to speak about is being filled with the Spirit. This is distinct from the Holy Spirit being indwelling in our lives, being born of the Spirit. Every true believer has the Spirit of Christ. We find that in Romans 8. Paul clearly says, if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But I want us to see what, to have some sense of this, that the word means what it says, filled. If we think of a glass of water or whatever, if it's full of water, it has no room for anything else. It's really the basic element. But how does that work in our lives when we have families, we have jobs, we have things that we need to do? These believers here, did they not have jobs, families? Now, some of them perhaps not. Some of them, in this influx of believers at the day of Pentecost, some of them were foreigners. That's why there was such need. And we'll, we'll see some of that as we move on through Acts. But, but these believers, they're just human beings. They're, this isn't special. They're not special people in that way. Maybe specially chosen by God, some of them. 
because I want to especially choose some of you. But every one of us have the same basic needs. We'll still need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So this is not talking about having absolutely no other thought ever, ever. No, it's a matter of what purpose are you living for? Not just in name, but in yieldedness. Your heart completely is. Being filled with the Spirit is being, having an availability to Him that is to the point, to the same level that Christ called for in discipleship in Luke 14. I just turn to it, read it again. It's good to consider this. What does Jesus think a disciple needs to be willing for? What level of commitment? This is in Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's radical commitment. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In the other account, another gospel, and I did not look that up, but if you recall, after Jesus said this, Peter said, Lord, we've left all to follow you. Jesus acknowledged that and said that there would be reward not only in the life to come, but in this life. I believe this is one, uh, something that's very, very hard for us in our day. Especially as the Lord has, has begun to, to speak to many of us and, and lead us toward, toward a recognition that we've dropped the ball pretty badly as a whole, the church, and, and just leading our own families and it being a, a continual uh, seeking God through his word and, and, and breaking the word open in our homes on a regular basis to where that's just, that, that permeates our lives. We got, got away from that. Generations sliding in the wrong direction on this. And, and so the Lord speaks things and, and begins to try to recover this and, and to encourage us in this. His encouragement is not for the purpose that we be swallowed up 
in our own homes. So wrapped up in family, family's a good thing. But what is this calling for? Forsaking all, and he names father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, in his own life also. Cannot be my disciple. Does this not speak of a radical commitment? Though it may take some hard work in, in digging out and, and, and coming to a, an understanding of how the Lord would have us live, how, how that all works together. I'm not proposing to, to stand here and say in three minutes what, how all that works together. But let's work at it. If God calls us to lead our homes in a godly way to to plant the Word of God in the lives of our children so that they are ready to be fully functioning and available servants to God when they grow up, then will He not give us the grace to do that? And if He calls for this kind of commitment to His purpose, will He not help us to also walk that out? Of course He will. Let's be committed to doing His will, not in, in considering whether or not it works. It works because the power of his spirit will make it happen if we are available to him completely. So, again, don't be discouraged, but be sobered by what the Lord is calling for. And let us commit then together to walk together, to walk it out, to go through the hard work that it might take to to wrestle with issues that need to be wrestled with so that we are available as in, in the same way that these believers in Acts was available. They were able to be filled by the Spirit at this time in part because of their commitment and their hearts being completely His. They weren't divided. How can we be filled with the Spirit if our hearts are divided? This cannot work. May the Lord bless us and guide us. Give us much grace.